Gift Biz Unwrapped, episode 273. And we always tell factories, hey, it's a sample order so that we can understand you and to test your quality. Attention gifters, bakers, crafters, and makers. Pursuing your dream can be fun. Whether you have an established business or are looking to start one now, you are in the right place. This is Gift Biz Unwrapped, helping you turn your skill into a flourishing business. Join us for an episode packed full of invaluable guidance, resources, and the support you need to grow your gift biz. Here is your host, gift biz gal, Sue Monheit. Hi there, it's Sue, and thanks for joining me here today. Kicking things off, I have a new announcement that's going to make your life so much easier. Have you ever listened to a podcast here, knew you wanted to write something down, re-listen another time, or come back to grab a resource that was mentioned? But for the life of you, you can't remember what episode it was in. Well, now you can find it instantly. If you go to giftbizunwrapped.com forward slash search, enter keywords on any topic you want, and not only will it tell you in what episodes the topic was discussed, but it will bring you to the exact spot. Isn't that so cool, you guys? Information grab-and-go style. Easy, quick, and you can be on your way taking that newfound information you were looking for and implementing it into your business immediately. So whether it's a topic like SEO, or you want to hear from other candle makers, or you're looking for a specific guest's show, all now can be found through keyword search right inside the podcast. Yay! I'm so excited. I hope you are too. That link again is giftbizunwrapped.com forward slash search. Try it out and let me know what you think. Now today we're going to be talking with Brian. He's an American who's lived in China for 10 years and coordinates the logistics of getting products from the factories to us over here in the U.S. Have you ever wondered how people get their products made abroad? It can be an entire product or individual pieces for a product that then you assemble stateside. You're going to learn where to go to source a factory overseas, how to communicate with them, and the process you go through to get from concept to having an actual physical product in your hands. We also discuss the coronavirus and what it's been like for them there. And, you know me, I don't shy away from the tougher topics, like the frustrating risk of knockoffs. Right now, I get it, tension runs high between China and the U.S., so I was hesitant at first to air this episode. But regardless of what happens politically, this information can be applied to any foreign factory you may work with, regardless of the country. The process is essentially the same. So let's take a trip abroad, shall we? Today it is my pleasure to introduce you to Brian Miller of Easy China Warehouse. Originally from Trumbull, Connecticut, Brian has been living in China for the past 10 years. He previously worked for one of the largest Chinese government-owned manufacturers, managing their Northern American export operations. Now Brian runs a third-party logistics warehouse in Shenzhen, China, 
The company provides third-party logistics and shipping for Amazon FBA sellers and any e-commerce company creating products in China. Brian, welcome to the Gift Biz Unwrapped podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I'm really happy that we are talking today because we haven't really covered this subject before. So it'll be brand new information for everybody. So again, by the way, what time is it over there in China? It's 10 o'clock. Yeah, you just got me before I'm ready for bed, but it's perfect. I'm still awake now. (laughs) Okay. And it's 9 a.m. here and I'm drinking my coffee. Anyway, before we get started, I do something that's become a little bit of a tradition here, Brian, and that is to have each of my guests describe themselves by way of a motivational candle. So if you were to share a little bit about you in a different way, what would a motivational candle look like by color and quote? Yeah, so the color I'm going to be a little bit boring with, I think it has to be red for me. And red shows kind of the energy and passion that I have for the work I do but also kind of a symbol of China, right? So I've been in China for a long time and it's kind of my home now and the place where I live and that I identify with very closely. And of course, China is very famous for their Chinese red. And so that's what color I choose for myself. Okay, and do you have a quote for the candle? I do, yeah. Well, it's kind of my own quote, actually. It's not any other people's quote. (laughs) That's better because it's original. Yeah, so I always tell people that we never take the shortcut because the long, hard road is always more sustainable for our business. So that's kind of my quote that I'd put on the outside of my candle. I really like that. Given that I work with people who want to turn a hobby or a craft into a business, one of the things I'm really adamant about saying is there are no quick wins here. There are quick wins in terms of small parts being small pieces being successful. But if you're looking at doing this to automatically make a million dollars in a year, forget it. (laughs) Like that's not real, right? Yeah. And it always takes a while, right? Like everyone thinks that success comes easy, but usually it takes time and it's tough. And so every time that we've taken the more challenging route, it's been a better thing for our business and it's provided more value for our business. So I always like to avoid the shortcut, which I did in the beginning when I started my businesses. And now I just take the long sustainable route. Perfect. All right. Well, let's go back there. That was a perfect segue. Tell me how you got to China. (laughs) Take us through your story. Yeah. So this is like a great kind of beginning because the beginning of me going to China started at the other crisis that we had in 2008 is when I graduated university. And so now we have the corona crisis, as we know. But at that time, there weren't many jobs and I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. And so I left the U.S. for Europe to travel for a year without any plan. I just wanted to like kind of go explore and see the world. And that's what I did. That tells us you're an adventurer, Brian. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Actually, after that year, I had a friend in Taiwan. He was my college roommate and he had started a business in Taiwan. And he told me, Brian, you've got to come out to Asia. Everything's like the economy's hot here. The culture is very different and it's super exciting, like the environment, and you got to come out and see it. And so that's kind of how I ended up going from Europe to Asia. And I arrived in Taiwan and lived at his place for a few nights. And before I knew it, I kind of really loved the atmosphere, the people, the culture, and also the opportunity business-wise because Asia was growing and also China at the time was becoming a larger and larger force in the world. And Taiwan also speaks Mandarin. And so at that time, I started studying Mandarin about 10 years ago. And from there, I moved to Beijing, where I continued my studies. And then I started working for that state-owned company, doing their manufacturing in the heart of China. 
So how did you jump and learn how to do manufacturing or were you learning on the job? Yeah, I learned more or less on the job. So they kind of hired us to help with their export market. So we had different foreign employees that were at the company and we each kind of managed the region that we were from. So from the U.S. and I managed the North American region of exporting. And I had other colleagues that manage Europe and South America and Russia. Mm-hmm. And so on the job, they gave us a lot of the training about like how manufacturing works and how you make molds and how you make tooling and how we design products. We were doing manufacturing for industrial products. So those are products that went into like automobiles, railroad cars, wind power. So like bigger, larger components that were more industrial uh, not consumer. Mm-hmm. However, like the same kind of manufacturing principles are very similar across all types of manufacturing. So that's where I learned how it works and how kind of China works and how manufacturing in China works. So it was more like on the job training as I help them sell their products to U.S. companies. Got it. And so were you working with just one set of factories or were you finding what factories would be appropriate for whatever products you were making? Yeah. So I actually worked for the factory. I was hired directly by the Chinese government at one of their government manufacturing facilities. So our company was a subsidiary of a larger company. And we in our city had about 11 different factories. And those factories manufactured different components in the industrial market. So even though we were just a small company within a larger company, we did have multiple factories that we were making all different components at. Got you. I love that because that means you were really close to the action. So you really got to understand a lot, even though you weren't working in the factory per se, you were the export portion. You were right in there amongst everything. So you weren't like in a separate area of China and just talking to them. You saw everything, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, like I worked with Chinese colleagues like in the overseas sales department and our office was basically like right next to the factory. So although we didn't like go there often, like we could literally walk 100 yards and just be right in the middle of the factory. So yeah, it was good exposure to like how manufacturing works and how when we hear a lot of problems from our factories, like I really got to see what was really happening in the back end, you know, mm-hmm. and not always what they're saying is what's actually happening. Right. So <laughs> yeah, I got like a really good view of what the world looks like behind the factory. Got it. Okay. And so let's continue on to where you are today. Yeah, sure. So after I worked there for five years, I started with a friend, an e-commerce company. We developed some Bluetooth speakers that we manufacture on our own, like custom Bluetooth speakers that we sell mainly in the U.S. online. So we sell primarily on Amazon, but also on our own website. And then from there, I basically started a company that help e-commerce companies like mine ship their products from China. So in the process of starting my own e-commerce company, I felt like there was a huge opportunity where a lot of my friends were having trouble basically taking their product from the factory and how to get it overseas or how to get it to Amazon warehouses or how to get it to their end customer. And so we have a warehouse in Shenzhen, China, which is the border city to Hong Kong. I know a lot of people know Hong Kong. And we help e-commerce companies basically take the product from the factory and distribute it around the world to their customers or to other fulfillment centers for their company. Okay, so logistics of any kind. So it might be pieces that you're using as part, like because all of my listeners are creators, right? So it might be parts that they're getting if they're going directly to a factory or it could be the completed piece, whichever. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so we might ship components to people, like maybe a lot of the people that you talk to are assembling their own products. 
or we might take the product directly from China and ship it to the end customer. So maybe if people manufacture at higher scale in China, we can ship the product to the end customer anywhere around the world, or we can ship it in bulk by like sea or air freight to a warehouse, let's say in the US, for them to distribute the products to the end customer. So we do both sides of it. Okay. All right. Perfect. Wonderful. Okay. I think right now, since we're still in the middle of the corona situation as we're speaking, although we're going to talk further, Brian, I think about manufacturing in China overall, because I think that will be significant and interesting for us as we move forward. Just share a little bit about where you are right now and the situation with the factories. Are they back up and running? What's happening with shipping? pricing of shipping, just give us a little bit of an overview. And for reference gift biz listeners, we're we're doing this interview, interestingly enough, on Memorial Day here in America. So that gives you a little bit of reference in time. So Memorial Day 2020, what's the situation over there right now? Yeah, so I'll just bring it back a little bit just so that people can have a, a slight background on how production progressed throughout the months. Okay. And basically in January where it first started and where it kind of ramped up in China and to the end of January is where we went into Chinese New Year. So typically in China, that's when manufacturing slows down a little bit, like just getting into Chinese New Year. So in the beginning of January, we saw like a lot of factories finish out their orders before the end of the year for China. And then starting after Chinese New Year, which started in February, we saw a lot of factories very slow to get back up to production. And that was because the virus was still spreading quite rapidly. And also a lot of quarantine measures were taken within China. So a lot of the factories and and people were not able to get back to work. So we saw most of the production offline in February. And then in March, we saw a lot of the production start to come back. So I'd say by the end of the March, we had about 80% of production back online, production capacity. And then in April, we were about full capacity. So that's kind of the timeline as far as like production. So we were kind of, if people were making things in China, it was really tough to get their orders out or orders started to be made in February. But by now, actually factories are relatively desperate for orders because demand around the world has kind of contracted because of the virus. And so there are a lot of factories that are like really looking for new orders. That can probably help a lot of the listeners negotiate lower order number amounts or negotiate a better price or payment terms at the moment because really it's a buyer's market. The buyer really has the power at the moment, I'd say, as far as manufacturing goes. And is this a statement across the whole country, all of China? Yeah, I would say in general, like we've seen quite a few factories that have gone on like long-term vacation and by long-term vacation don't have enough orders to like open the whole facility. So we're seeing like the economy kind of a struggle. So the opportunity for buyers to come in and purchase low quantities is really good right now because a lot of factories will take any order they can get. I don't (laughs) want it to sound so great, but like for your listeners that might just be starting or might be looking to order something smaller in the beginning, I think it's a really good opportunity now to start talking to factories to see what type of quantities and and prices you can get on some of the products that you might want or the components that you want to buy from China. Oh, well, you've just given me an idea because I work directly with a factory down like in the garment creating area. And my order is supposed to get on the water, I'd say within the month or so. So maybe I ought to go back and add to it. (laughs) See if I can add in some things a little bit, do some negotiation here. We'll see. (laughs) 
Yeah, and I don't say, like, be too tough, but at least it's time that you can at least bring up some of these questions. And you might be surprised at how willing factories are willing to work with you. You know what I mean? Well, and helping them out too, right? Because if they have a lot of downtime right now because the demand hasn't been as great, then it's a win-win, really. Yeah, and also, if you think about that, as well as far as like developing new product lines, a lot of factories right now do have a lot of downtime. So they are more willing to spend more time with you to develop maybe a new concept or maybe a new idea that you have for a product. So at the same time, it's also a really good opportunity now to think about new product lines that you can develop with your factories because they're eager to do it at this moment. For sure. Ooh, very good. All right. So let's talk then to a listener who's never considered this before, but they've created a product that they're now making themselves, right? And they're getting to the point where the demand is such that they need to either bring in help, like an employee who's going to be with them here in America, or now maybe we've sparked an idea of, hmm, should I maybe consider making whatever my creation is over in China? What are the pros and cons there of doing it here in America versus hiring a factory in China? Yeah, so I guess there's a few things like in the U.S. for sure, if you're going to do it on your own, you're definitely going to be able to control the process more and also the quality of product that you push out on your own, right? It's not to say that China doesn't make good product because there is good factories that make really good product. But it's much more difficult to control the quality when you are manufacturing in China. So I would say that's one of the negatives. But one of the a few of the big positives are obviously scale. So China has very strong supply chains, including a large labor force that are able to manufacture like really high volume products. So that's one of the benefits. If your business does grow, it's easy to keep up with sales as your business grows quickly, which is a huge advantage. And of course, we all know is cost, right? So you're going to get a better cost price point in China, and it's going to help you improve your margins and also produce more cash flow, obviously, for the business that will help you grow. So I'd say those are like big benefits as opposed to the benefit in the U.S. The negatives would also be is long lead time, right? So in China, you need at least probably a month to manufacture something. And then if you ship it by sea, you probably need another month. So like two to three months to get your product on shore in the U.S. And so the lead times and the complexity of shipping also can add a bit of complexity to your whole process. So there's pluses and minuses on both sides, right? Mm -hmm. You have to look at your specific product and see if it makes sense. Plus, I'm thinking the volume that you're going to produce. I mean, you're not going to have a Chinese factory producing 10 pieces, right? <laughs> like there have to be... Right. Quite a few. Like, how do you figure out what the volume break would need to be to make this worthwhile? Where would you go if you were doing this? Well, I'm not even going to say direct. It depends on what type of product you make. So if someone's interested in this, okay, so they hear the pros and the cons. The pros that you gave are obviously the scale, the volume, and the cost, because production cost, we all know, is lower there. But then you do have your shipping tariffs, you know, all of that. From experience, I'd say the pricing is still better when you're doing something like that overseas versus trying to source it in America, depending on your product. And then the cons, of course, are quality. You have to clearly have very specific guidelines of your product. And lead time, as long as you're planning far out and that can fit your process and your inventory, you can work it. You just have to know that you do need months. I mean, my product coming in. So I do all of my ribbon over in China, Brian. And it's 
turnaround at the very shortest is three months and it's been up to six months. Right. But if you know that and can plan for it, then it's okay. What I've also found, and you're the logistics guy, so you know this better than I do, but what I've also found is if you have a smaller order and you're going by sea over the water, it might take longer because they need to fill up full containers. So when I was just starting and my orders were smaller as I was testing everything out, my shipping took longer because I was such a small part of a container. Right. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Does that make sense? Yeah. For sure. Okay, so if someone is thinking, okay, I don't know if this is for me, but I don't even know what steps I would take first to even consider this. Let's talk about someone who has a product that could be replicated. And let's go so far as they already have the design spec. So they've already got that taken care of on this end over here. What's the next step from there? Yeah, I think that the best way to start, and it's kind of cliche, but it's still the best place to look for factories is to go on Alibaba. So we all know Alibaba, or some of us don't, but it's basically a search engine in China for factories. There's both factories and trading companies on the platform. So uh, you have to be aware that there's both type of types of companies. But in that interface and in that website, you can basically search for your commodity and or whatever you're trying to make. And factories will come up in the search results that might match the product that you want to make. And so on this website, you can look for factories and you can directly contact with them directly through the website or sometimes they have their email written on their sales page where you can send them an email to kind of inquire about making your product. And so for anyone starting, I still recommend that this is the best way to start looking. And would you suggest choosing one or three or you already said that it makes sense. This is pretty obvious, but it makes sense to choose a factory who's already making something similar to what you have because they have the experience and the equipment for it, right? Should you choose one or three and start talking to several at a time? Or what do you say? I mean, that's clearly what I do in America. Yeah, I'd say there's no like magic number, but definitely more than three. So I would say, <laughs> I mean, we've talked to like 20 or 30 just to find one or 50 to find one good factory. But it depends on how the progress with the first three to five factories that you talk to, how you feel about it, the pricing they give you, how the communication goes, whether you believe that they're trustworthy, et cetera, et cetera. So usually I like to tell people first get your feelers out, have people provide quotes. When they do provide quotes, the quotes will be all over the place, meaning you might get a quote for making something. One factory quotes $3, the other factory quotes $8, the other one quotes $10. And after they quote, you can start asking them, hey, why did you quote this amount? Why is yours so much lower than other people's? They might be using different materials. They might have a better production line set up for that and they're already making it. And that's why they're able to keep the cost so low is because they're so experienced. So you got to start asking questions and open that dialogue and understand how professional they are and how they respond. And that's where you start getting a good feel for who you want to narrow down the factories to kind of be the last couple that you consider, basically. Okay. And then when you get to your final two, any suggestions there? Yeah, absolutely. So we always recommend that even if it's not exactly your product, even if it's close to your product, that you purchase samples from the factory. So you purchase one sample from each of the factories and you have those samples uh, shipped to you. And that's where you're going to get an idea of, okay, is the quality of the product very good? Is it bad? 
And that's where you can compare the cost between each factory and the product that you actually have in your hand. And so that's where you really start understanding where each factory is. And then from there, you can go into the next negotiation, which is probably choosing one of those factories to start developing your prototype. Okay, so that's when you would send over the technical drawings, and those would then already be copyrighted here. How do you protect your product? Because now you're sending it to China, right? Right, yeah. I'm going to be a little, this is probably going to make a lot of people a little bit uncomfortable, but I don't believe, regardless of what you do, whether you sign an NDA or not, that you're protected in any way other than having protection in the country of sale. So if you have a patent on your product in the U.S., then you're definitely protected. However, the thing about China is if you have one factory that can make a thing, a widget, let's say, there's probably 1,000 other factories that can make the same widget. And so even if you have your factory, who's a trusted factory, make your product and you become successful, which we all hope everyone does, it's not to say that some other factory could make the same product, right? And so I don't recommend that people worry too much about protection or let's say IP protection in China. They should focus on the IP protection in the country that they want to sell their product in. That's the only way to really protect your company and yourself from people trying to copy it. We've learned from other interviews we've done on the legal side with copyrights, trademark, patents, whatever it is, it's always based on whatever country you're selling in. So if you are selling internationally, you need to get these documents in every single country. So I totally buy into what you're saying, Brian. That makes a lot of sense. The other thing I want to say to you guys who are listening is remember, just as Brian's saying, like our products can be replicated. Your candles can be made by somebody else, not as good as you. We all know that. But what you add on top of your business, your branding, who you are, how you go to market, how you're special and different from everybody else is the added layer that gives you the magic, if you will. So today, what we're really talking about here is specifically how to get your product created in mass. So I don't want you guys to freak out, <laughs> you know, and especially people who are just starting saying, nope, I'm not doing this. <laughs> but you're absolutely right, Brian. I think that does make people uncomfortable, but I agree with what you're saying. And we need to be bold enough and confident enough to stand up to the market and represent our product uniquely. Yeah. And just to add that to that, like I completely agree. And also like we also need to think that a lot of people can probably make the same product as us, but we need to add value in our companies through credible customer service and caring about our customers and our company values and the values that our products provide to our customers. And that's what really outshines one company over the other, rather than there's a lot of people that can copy you, but you can still stay competitive as long as you're passionate about your product and your business and you provide a lot of value to your customers. So I think that's like the best defense rather than worrying about whether someone's going to copy you because the fact is, is they probably can, you know, <laughs> so. Right. And I have so many people. I'm just going to go a little side tangent here. And I am going to stick with these words. So many people who will be like, I have an idea, but I'm not telling anybody because someone will steal it, <laughs> you know? And the fact is, the second your idea is on the market, someone can copy it. Let's just be real, right? Even if it's the most unique product you've ever thought of, someone can knock you off. I mean, that happens all the time. So the things that both Brian and I were just talking about are the ways that you make yourself different, that you're attracting your right audience, that people are going to buy from you. 
and you'll have a profitable business. But it starts with having the product to sell. So <laughs> let's go back to that. And we'll continue this conversation right after a quick word from our sponsor. Yes, it's possible. Increase your sales without adding a single customer. How you ask? By offering personalization with your products. Wrap a cake box with a ribbon saying, Happy 30th birthday, Annie. Or add a special message and date to wedding or party favors for an extra meaningful touch. Where else can you get customization with a creatively spelled name or fine packaging that includes a saying whose meaning is known to a select two? Not only are customers willing to pay for these special touches, they'll tell their friends and word will spread about your company and products. You can create personalized ribbons and labels in seconds. Make just one or thousands without waiting weeks or having to spend money to order yards and yards. Print words in any language or font. Add logos, images, even photos. Perfect for branding or adding ingredient and flavor labels too. For more information, go to theribbonprintcompany.com. So you get some samples, they look good, you then send over the specs, and then you get a prototype. And the prototype comes back to you, and you might have a couple of rounds, right, back and forth. And what I love about this process, Brian, is if something ends up faltering, you've already done your research and you have some backup factories that you can go to later if need be. So you're already further along in the process. But you finally get the prototype that looks good. You're like, thumbs up. I'm excited. This is going to work. Then what? Yeah. So then you would make, I mean, this is what we recommend to make a final sample. So the final sample would be like the exact sample that you want them. You make an order for 100 or 1,000 or 10,000 pieces and you want every single unit to look exactly the same. And that's from the size, the shape, the material, the packaging, everything. So you want to make sure that you have that final approved sample and that there are some guidelines that you give the factory to tell them how they might package it or how it fits in the box or how the sticker on the top is labeled or where it's put in the top. All those little details are important because if you don't mention it to them, they're going to put the sticker wherever they want or they're going to shove the product in the box in whatever way they want. So it's important to have that final sample and then have additional instructions to denote every detail that you might think that they might not put in the way that you want it. Okay, this is important. And this the quality, I'll be honest, Brian, maybe you can give me some pointers here, has been a little bit of a challenge. Now, I think if I had a product that had specific hard piece parts, it might be different. I'm doing a fabric material that has a special finish that we've created that needs to go on. It's cut in certain ways. It, the rolls are rolled to a certain size, all of that. And I have seen a variance from lot to lot that comes in, which becomes very challenging because then what I've put on the website that we are selling isn't necessarily the product that's come in. Now, having said that, I absolutely love my factory. I've been there. I've seen them. I can tell everybody with a million percent confidence it's not a sweatshop because that's, of course, always a concern here. Maybe we can address that in a little while. I love my people. I think they're honest. I believe in them. And anytime I've had a bad shipment, they have made it right for me. <laughs> you know, there's been timing issues then because we've got a couple more months before we get it in. But my experience has been very good with them. I just wish that the consistency would be better. Do you have any comments on that? 
Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> How many, Brian? <laughs> <laughs> I've got tons. But yeah, like as far as consistency, so there's a few things. One is like people need to keep in mind that factories are factories and humans are humans and there is going to be some variation always between products just because we are humans and we make everything differently, right? Even when you mold a product, so when you put a plastic piece in a mold and you mold it, so you heat it up and you create a piece of plastic, there's going to be variations in weight and how much plastic you put in and even the color of the plastic because when you dye things, it's not going to dye perfectly. So I think as buyers, we need to keep that in mind, specifically like if you're buying uh, textiles or some type of yarn or threads or whatever, they have to dye it to the best of their ability, to the closest that they can get to the Pantone color that you're working with. And there's always going to be a little variation. The goal of us is to make sure that that variation is to the minimum. And there are industry regulations too, right? There are industry regulations of acceptable variances in color. So yeah, I get that. Absolutely. But I think the best way for us to kind of control it is to create some type of, it doesn't have to be like a serious document, but some type of written document that you send to your factory to tell them what you accept and what you don't accept. And when you do that, it kind of clearly sets out the guidelines. And then before you do make the shipment, we recommend specifically when you just start working with a factory for the first few batches of shipment, you hire a China inspection agency to go to the factory and inspect the product. And this shows your factory that you're serious and that you're willing to reject products so that they're going to lose money, right? And just showing them this will make them more stringent on their own quality checks that they do for you. And so I think this is a really good way to like put them in line. For me, since I live in China, people are going to laugh. In order to get my factories to get better in shape, I actually go to my factory myself and I check the product one by one myself if there's bad product and I reject them myself. And this makes the factory feel they kind of like lose face that the boss is going in there and sweating in the factory all day to check the product. And usually it embarrasses them enough that they won't do it again. <laughs> so I know everyone can't go to China, but the best alternative is to hire an inspection company that can go on your behalf and check your product before it leaves the factory. Okay, I have a couple of questions about that. So I didn't know about these inspection people until recently, but I've stayed just tightly working with the factory. And now my liaison there, who's like probably the only person who speaks English there, does exactly what you say. He goes in and he inspects and makes sure everything's going as it should. And then he also sends me pictures for verification. And if we see something over on our side, I'll be like, okay, hold on, go back and look at this, this color, this size roll, this tightness of rolling, you know, whatever, make sure it's to our standard. So we kind of work it back and forth so that I feel comfortable that what is going to take yet another 30 days on the water to get to me is actually going to be usable once we get it here. But I didn't used to do that in the beginning. So I would highly recommend these China inspection agencies as you're getting started. How would you find an agency there? Yeah, it's a good question. I just know from experience, we have one that we always recommend. They're a little bit more expensive than the average inspection agency, but they do a really good job. 
I can give that to you and you can maybe put it in the show notes and share it with your listeners. Okay. But yeah, we have one that I recommend to my friends. We have no affiliation with them at all, just so everyone knows. We just think they're like a really good company. (laughs) And yeah, you can share it with your listeners in the show notes or if you want to send them out an email or whatever. Okay. So you guys, if you're willing to give it to me, I will put that in the show notes as an agency that Brian would recommend. Okay. So products ready. It's been inspected. How do I decide whether I want to air it over or send it on the water besides timing? Because that's obvious. Yeah. So if you have a very small order. Yeah. Some of them could be very small products. You could might have thousands, but they're small. Yeah. So if it's less than, we always go by kilograms, but if it's less than about a hundred kilograms, usually it always makes sense to ship by air just because the cost to ship by sea is just too exorbitant compared to air. But once you get over a certain threshold, for our company, we consolidate freight for other people at a minimum of 100 kilograms, which is really small. And usually you can find people that will ship it by sea to you 100 kilograms and above. And so for really small shipments, you got to airship. And for larger shipments, we recommend sea shipment. Okay. And then people would come to someone like you, right? An export company. Right. Yeah, exactly. So we basically help companies or small companies take their freight from the factory, put it in containers that go on to the ships, bring it to the U.S., clear it through customs and then deliver it to the end destination. So that's like what we do to bring your product from the factory to wherever you want to get it. So we would arrange that whole travel for your product wherever you wanted it. Oh, interesting. Okay, so what I'm doing right now is my factory is arranging everything up to the port in China. And then I have someone stateside picking up from there. So they're doing the same type of thing. You just happen to be there versus the person I'm using here, right? Yeah, I mean, a little bit different because we add value because we basically take a lot of people's freight and load it into the container before it gets to the port. And then we take a full container and split all those port fees against or amongst all the sellers in the container. And so for doing less than container loads, which can be expensive, we lower the cost in comparison to our competitors because we're loading the containers before they get to the port. So we do a little bit different, not to get into too much detail, but we optimize for people that have smaller amounts of freight that want to ship by sea, basically. Okay, so you are definitely a resource for all of us. If we are looking at getting into this, we could certainly ask you questions, etc. Absolutely. Yeah, sure. Yeah, if anyone has questions, I mean, I could tell you our contact information at the end and they can get in touch with us for sure. We'll do that. For- okay, and so what is your comment on right now, like the tariffs and the shipping costs currently, because this is a question I actually, Brian, asked my audience, like, what types of things do you want me to ask Brian? Here's our chance. And one of their questions was, what about shipping costs right now? Yeah, during the whole coronavirus, basically, most of the sea freight was relatively stable and stable in terms of the amount of capacity in the market and the cost. So you would see a relatively similar cost this year as you would the years previous. However, air freight this year was a lot different. So usually in Q4, going up to Christmas, we have like kind of the highest air freight prices of the year. And this year was a little bit different because the highest we've ever seen during the coronavirus outbreak. And the reason for that is a lot of people don't realize is about 50% of air freight is shipped in the bellies of passenger flights. 
So since most of the passenger flights around the world or intercontinental ones were canceled, we basically had about 50% of the capacity in the air freight market taken away. And then we had an increase in demand because we had a lot of factory delays after Chinese New Year. So a lot of people wanted to get their product on planes. But also we had a big need for PPE, personal protection equipment for a lot of the hospitals around the world. And those were all being air freighted. And so we had a huge surge in demand and a huge shortage of supply and capacity. And so air freight prices have almost tripled. <laughs> yeah. So, But luckily, yeah. actually, about two weeks ago, I have good news for everyone, it kind of peaked. So we saw the peak of prices. And for about two weeks, we've seen prices go down. And so I think this is a relatively good trend that we're seeing. Every week, we're seeing the prices go down slightly. So I think for people that do want to airship, it's been a good trend, and I hope it should continue in the next few months to continue to go down as well. I have a different product that I also source overseas only because, honestly, and I have to say this for our customers, only because I can't get it in America. It doesn't exist here because I do try to buy American as much as I can to support our homeland, especially as we're talking Memorial Day right now. But I do have another product and they did not increase my prices for shipping at all. It stayed the same. And I just did that, what, last week? I placed the order last week. So I can confirm what you're saying, Brian, is the point. And that's a relief to all of us, I think. Yeah. And not only that, I think it's a relief on the personal end, too, because when we go shopping for things, a lot of things that we buy are still made overseas. And if now the channels have kind of been cleaned up and things are starting to go, I don't know about flights coming in as much, but maybe a little bit like you're saying, it'll take a little while to catch up, but things should start getting back to what we're accustomed to is what it sounds like. Yeah, I hope so. I think if there is still spread around the world, which there should be until there's kind of a vaccine, right? I think prices will be relatively elevated, a little bit higher than normal. But we do see them going down from here from their kind of crazy outrageous <laughs> two right. or three times what they used to be, right? So yeah, I think throughout the year, they will be higher than normal. However, we're starting to see them going down, at least in the market, which I think is good for everyone. Okay. And what about timing? Yeah. So timing, we've seen a lot of delays. Usually your typical DHL or UPS express shipment from China that takes three to five days to the US has taken at the worst times up to two weeks, which is like unheard of. And that has to do with a lot of the fact that they couldn't get a lot of the products on planes. So a lot of the product would actually sit in line before it was loaded onto those express planes. We had a lot of our products stuck in Hong Kong sitting at the airport because when we book our freight, it's like first come, first serve. So if we book the freight and we put it at the airport, whoever's in front of us gets loaded on the plane first. And then we have to wait in line depending on when we get our product there. And so we saw like large lines for freight getting onto the aircraft over the past two to three months. But we're seeing that these lines are reducing over the last few weeks. So okay. for most people, I think there still should be some slight delays in the market, but we're seeing that shipment times are getting improved and they should get better and better over the next month for sure. All right. And is it the type of thing where they're going to try and be as efficient with the space that they have available as they can? So if they have, let's say, three large shipments that they're trying to fit on a plane, they can fit two, but they have space for a smaller shipment. Will they go and try and find that shipment and put it in there? Like, so they'll try and fit 
full capacity based on the space available. Yeah, absolutely. So like maybe some person might get a little bit pushed ahead just because they have a little bit less, but generally it's kind of first come first serve. Mm -hmm. But we're seeing less and less lines going out on air freight in the last two weeks. So I think people will have to worry about it less and less when we look into like June, July for sure. Well, great. Perfect. And someone who's just now considering by the time they go through this whole process, probably be a non-issue depending on how fast you would go through if you're considering it once again. I do want to tackle this question, which I think is something that's on a lot of my listeners' minds. And that is, over here, sometimes we hear, like, how much can you trust the factories? And I hear people saying, well, it's not always truthful, the message that you're getting. I will tell you that has not been my experience. I've already said how much I love my factory. (laughs) But not everyone is in a situation like I am where we took the trip and the trains way down into remote areas to actually visit and make a connection with the factories. I mean, I know that I'm fortunate enough to have been able to do that. The majority of people never will. So what can you say in terms of that to help people with this idea of, yeah, okay, but this is a foreign country. I really don't know a lot about them. Is it worth my risk? Yeah. So, I mean, I think I'm lucky I've been here for a while and I've never had any trouble ever with any factories, apart from like small quality issues, which is probably everyone's going to have. I think a good way to kind of mitigate that is to always start small with your factory. So never put in a huge order on the first order. And you could do that if you visited them and you understand who they are and you've signed contracts and all that stuff. But as smaller businesses like us that want to get started, it's probably good to start with a very small kind of, you like to say to the factory, a sample order. If you do say that, then they're more willing to like create a very small order size for you to get started. And we always tell factories, hey, it's a sample order so that we can understand you and to test your quality. And they're usually okay with making a smaller batch in the beginning. And so that's how we always recommend that people start out just in order to not only get a feel for the factory, but also mitigate your risk if someone were to run away with your money. And if you do have one of those small orders and it's only a thousand or two dollars, you're not going to lose everything, right? So that's what we recommend to do in the beginning. Okay. You know, I think another thing, and even my factory is a little bit hesitant with this only because of the language barrier. But if you were able to deepen your relationship through, for example, having some of your calls over Skype where you can actually see each other, that starts to build more of a relationship. And I know I had already been there, so I knew my folks, but it just continues to reinforce the relationship and give you a little bit more confidence and trust. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also you can ask them for maybe like not all of their buyers are going to want to do this because they also don't want other people to know where they're buying stuff, but they might. I have like a recommendation letter or a reference that you can ask for, and that might be helpful for you to like get a little bit more confidence in them. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. And so real quickly, because I want to cover everything with you, Brian, (laughs) (laughs) let's say you're not going to do a full product over there, but some of the subcomponents, I think you call them, of your product are being manufactured over in China. Um, What do you say about the middleman who is purchasing those products for you? Is there anything that we should be aware of from a middleman supplier? Yeah, actually, this is probably going to surprise a lot of people, but I actually don't mind buying from middlemen. There's a couple of reasons for that. Middlemen serve like a really good purpose in the market, and they're usually very experienced buyers of certain types of commodities. And so the benefit of them is they understand the supply chain really well. 
They have really good relationships with factories. They often can get a better price than you can get, even if you were to go directly with the factory. And that's because they've been working with that factory forever. And so from middlemen, you get all of that experience, but you also get the ability to buy smaller quantities because they've been working with that factory for so long. So you get to leverage kind of this person's really like strong experience working with these people over a long period of time. So I'm not very as negative as a lot of other people are about middlemen because I think they serve a really good purpose in the market. Of course, if you have a product that you make over a long period of time, you might want to work directly with the factory just for kind of production reasons and ease of manufacturing and ease of communication. But I would recommend to your listeners that don't just count out a middleman just because they're a middleman. Give them consideration and seriously consider their offer if they do give you an offer. Okay. All right. Great advice there. Anything we haven't covered that you think we should include in our conversation here? <laughs> wow, that's a great question. Like which of the thousand things, right? Any big <laughs> holes doesn't mean we don't ever have you on again, right? Like if there's a lot of questions after this, maybe you'll be hearing from me to say, oh, Brian, <laughs> we need more information. <laughs> but is, are there any holes? Yeah, like China's, I mean, it's hard to say like one thing because there's a lot of complexities to manufacturing and China's kind of complex in that way. But I think going through the route that we kind of told you guys, like to start with finding a factory and start creating the samples and then create a prototype and then a final sample and then mass production and then your quality check is kind of like the really good basic way to get started. Don't go for a home run on the first hit. Get a smaller production run and see how it goes. And the only thing I could say is like if anyone has questions, they're more than welcome to send me an email <laughs> and I'd be happy to try to answer anyone's question because it's really hard for me to kind of pinpoint. There's a lot of different problems that arise when people manufacture and everyone kind of has their own unique issues, let's say. And so it's really hard for me to say like one thing in specific, I would say. <laughs> it's kind of a bad answer, but... <laughs> no, well, I want the real answers. Yeah, I think what we went through is... Okay. All right. Perfect. And we'll have your email also over on the show notes page. So if there's listeners, you'll be able to jump over there, but go ahead and throw it in here right now too, Brian. What's your email? Yeah, it's Brian, B-R-I, Brian with an I-A-N at easychinawarehouse.com. Super easy. Perfect. So if anyone has any questions, more than welcome to send me an email about manufacturing or logistics or whatever you'd like to ask, and I'll try to get back to you as fast as I can. Wonderful. Okay, as we close on out, Brian, I'm really curious, you know, you've had a little journey already. <laughs> you know, who knew that when you were going off to just travel for a little bit that you'd end up in China for your life? At least your life up to this point, right? <laughs> and neither did my mother, for sure. <laughs> I'm sure. What do you see as the future? As you start dreaming bigger and looking further, what do you see for your life? Yeah. So I think like one of the biggest things for me is like I started my business for ultimately the main reason why I do it is for freedom and freedom being able to kind of wake up and do what I want to do every day and have the opportunity and the time to to do it. And so like for me, I'm optimistic about continuing to grow the business and also to provide more freedom for myself. And that's for me personally, what I'm most optimistic about in starting a small business, specifically creating products and selling them to other people. So for me, that's what I like the most and what I'm the most kind of happy about and excited to wake up every day doing. Wonderful. Do you think you'll stay in China? That's a great question. My mom asks me all the time. I bet. <laughs> I've built a lot of skills here and they're super useful in China, I think. 
they're less useful probably in other places. And so because of my unique set of skills, I think it's likely that I'll stay here longer term to kind of utilize what I've built here, you'd say. Yep. So for now, at least I'd say yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you found something you love, which is awesome. And now you're just going to keep building on top of what you already have. Absolutely. Yep. I love that. Well, this has been such great information. I learned some things. Our listeners, I know, learned a lot. I know this will be an interview that people will come back to and I'll reference, you know, as they start developing and establishing and taking their businesses to the next level. So I so appreciate your coming on, sharing your knowledge, also offering for our listeners to talk with you directly. So thank you once again. I really, really appreciate all your information. Great. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. I know it feels unpatriotic to have products made overseas. We all want to buy American. But the truth, at least for now, is that not everything is even available here for us in the U.S. And until that changes, it's good to know that there are options. And hopefully today, you've seen that the process is not as mysterious or cumbersome as you may have thought. Next week, we're entering into a brand new series. I'm going to be bringing you experts covering all the various selling platforms that are available to you online, from Facebook shops to Etsy, Amazon, and next week, the first one, eBay. You'll learn the pros and cons of each platform so you can choose the one or more that makes sense for you, always in conjunction with your own website, of course. And before we sign off, if you have a second, will you please jump over and leave a rating or review on iTunes? That single gesture means the world to us podcasters. And I know it's hard to figure out what to say. So here you go. Just answer this question. What episode did you just listen to? And what did you learn? An easy way to leave a rating and review is right through this link, ratethispodcast.com forward slash gift biz unwrapped. Thank you so much to those of you who have already left a rating and review. And thanks in advance for those of you who are going to do it now. Okay, that's a wrap. Have a great week and I'll see you again next Monday. Be safe and be well. Bye for now. I want to make sure you're familiar with my free Facebook group called Gift Biz Breeze. It's a place where we all gather and are a community to support each other. I've got a really fun post in there that's my favorite of the week, I have to say, where I invite all of you to share what you're doing, to show pictures of your product, to show what you're working on for the week, to get reaction from other people, and just for fun because we all get to see the wonderful products that everybody in the community is making my favorite post every single week, without doubt. Wait, what? Aren't you part of the group already? If not, make sure to jump over to Facebook and search for the group Gift Biz Breeze. Don't delay. Come join us in Gift Biz Breeze today. <laughs>